My name is Thomas Malchow. I've been in the fitness industry for over 20 years. I've worked with hundreds of Olympic and professional athletes. I can help you become better at golf. What's up guys? My name is Thomas Melchow and welcome to the Train Fully podcast, where we'll dive deep into golf fitness, meeting with professionals, experts, and amateurs from around the world to help you gain an edge in your game. To learn more about Train Fully and our innovative at-home program, go to trainfully.com. Use promo code GOLF10 for a 10% discount. In this episode, Brian and I speak with professional golfer David Wicks. David talks about how he's learned to use adrenaline to boost his performance, and he describes specific drills he works on in practice to mimic the high-pressure situations of professional golf. All right, so joining us on the show, Dave Wicks. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Thomas. I appreciate you uh, being here. Well, we're going to talk about your professional career here in a little bit, but I want to start talking about your college career. So you played for Jacksonville and mm-hmm. you've had quite an accomplished career. Uh, you own a, a bunch of team records, lowest scoring average, most rounds of par or better, most birdies, lowest average in par five scoring, second lowest average in par four scoring, second lowest average in par three scoring, and those are some impressive accomplishments. And I think even more impressive was in 2017, you led Jacksonville to their first NCAA championship berth. And that's remarkable, but even more remarkable was how it happened. And I think you know what I'm talking about here, the incident with the golf ball. Can you explain what happened on the fourth hole that day, your 13th of the day? Yes, yeah pretty pretty weird event um not something i've experienced since and hope i ever <laughs> don't have to experience again but um i uh i was playing the 13th hole it was a par four dog leg around the water in louisiana and um uh i, I hit the green in two i think i was not, nothing special maybe 25 feet 30 feet and hit my putt to maybe a foot and a half but whereas i was you know nine times out of ten i would tap the ball in um there was someone's, I was going to be standing on someone's line. So I marked it, put the ball in my pocket, went over to the, to the side of the green and was chatting to my coach who was there. And then I, I bent down with the, the ball half in my pocket, which I didn't realize the balls dropped out, hit my foot and shot across down, down the hill into the pond. So I sort of looked at my coach and <laughs> in disbelief thinking that can't be a penalty, right? I mean, my ball's marked on the green. I know exactly where it is. You know, it's, it's not um it's not like we're guessing where, where the ball is so he looks at me and says i think that's a penalty and sure enough I, the rules official came over and told me i had five minutes to find it if i wanted to, to try and play it so i thought saving my you know head coach jumping in the pond i, I climbed <laughs> i got undressed and climbed down the bulkhead to try and find it which was actually a very silly decision in in uh hindsight because i didn't realize the kind of animals that were in those in the water down there i was later informed by the head greenkeeper that um right on that bulkhead two water moccasins are constantly there when he's cutting the greens and alligators and smiley kaufman who's actually on the pga tour played at louise at the university of louisiana 
and he uh, tweeted me after saying after what I've seen in that lake I would be going nowhere near it and stuff so had I known that I may not have gone anywhere anywhere near it at the ball but didn't end up finding the ball and took a two-shot penalty. The remarkable thing was that you were able to well were you able to drive yourself off but you got dressed and then proceeded to finish the round straight pars to lead your team to the NCAAs. How were you able to recover from that? Um, I, I wasn't able to dry off. It was 100 degrees, so it was it was warm, very warm. But um, I wasn't able to dry off. But I, th I think the, the most important part of it was I hadn't hit a bad shot to get myself into the problem. The, the problem was purely, you know, purely my fault in terms of uh, motor mechanics of crouching. Um, I think, you know, if had I had topped a ball or shanked it or, you know, duffed it then and made a six that way, then it would have, you know, severely altered the way I would have played the last five holes. But, you know, I think I was bogey free in the, in the round um, up until that point. So I knew I was playing well. I just had to try and um, coast my way in, uh, albeit slightly wetter than I would have would have first liked. But yeah, my coach pulled me to one side straight away and said, you're playing good golf. You know, this was not, you know, a golf related incident in terms of ability. This was just a freak accident. So continue to ride it. And I knew it's, it's, it's a lot easier in those positions because you've got four other guys riding on you to make sure that you, you know, you dig your heels in it and get, get going. Cause I knew he was there or thereabouts. I just didn't want it to be that uh, incident costing us the, the potential national championship place. I think you're being a little bit humble because I have an, another example here. Uh, 2019 Gator Bowl Pro-Am, um, you led your team to victory, but again, the way you did it is remarkable. So. I'll see if I have the details here correct. You're playing with Jordan Batchelor, correct? Mm -hmm. And uh, you guys combined for four birdies between number eight and number 14 to lower your team score to 19 under, which looked to be um, good enough for at least a, a playoff. Problem was, you had a flight out of Orlando at 8.30 to head back to England for the holidays. And you weren't going to be able to stay for the playoff. And if you were to stay, or sorry, if you couldn't stay, your team would have to forfeit. So this is on hole number 15 that you find out that if you have to leave, you will forfeit uh, the event. And what did you proceed to do? Well, it was interesting because we were playing behind the group that, were, that, were, that had caught us up because we were leading off the, after the first day. We had caught the group ahead who we were, we were watching them ahead of us on the, on the next hole. So we knew exactly what they were doing. So they, we had found out that they were a shot ahead of us going into the 15th hole. So I said to the boys, I said, look, we've got this hole to play at half, half five. So I knew he was going to birdie it. So I was like, boys, if we, if we tie this up, I've got to go. I have no time left. Like it was getting to the point where I might need to leave on the 17th green because I was that tight with my flight. So the boys were like, look, if we lose, we lose, we come second. Ah, I just, I don't know. I just couldn't, I couldn't quite accept it because it was, we were playing so well and it has been a whole two days of me and four, of, three other guys, just, just really good. We all played really well. So um, Jordan birdied 15th, 
which was a really good birdie. And then I birdied the 16th and eagled the 17th and then practically proceeded to run up the 18th on my own to just try and try and get to the end of the end of the course before before so basically we parred the 18th we knew that was enough because we'd seen the guys in front of us the 18th was a tough par four um and i, I think I, I don't even think i shook the guy's hand i was playing with i said boys i've got to go and they they wished me away and i ran off um straight into the car park and and uh yeah it was it was a surreal experience but the positive side to that we did win that tournament again two weeks ago and oh, I, congratulations. I was able to stay around and, and uh, we won that one in a playoff and I was we was able to stay around and celebrate the win a bit so that was nice Wait, so is there is there anything specifically especially in those two particular incidences because I mean I'm speaking for guys who even are single digit handicappers even ground scratch there's this adrenaline that e even the case of your your coach which is fantastic advice of saying you haven't actually made any bad strokes going into this but even then it, it, the adrenaline of the moment seems to override and there seem and there's this time where it's like you you have to take the time to calm yourself enough to be able to make it and it seems like you have very quick reflexes about <laughs> that time doesn't last as long for adrenaline or is there something that you do in your head that kind of allows that I think that's a that's a that's a really good question because my my opinion on on high performance golf and high level golf um, in total is is all about adrenaline. I think adrenaline is the absolute make or breaker for a, for a, 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 any level of golf, a fifteen handicap, ten handicap, scratch, because it, it changes you and you you'll know a lot more than I do. But I, I am convinced it changes your your composition so much that. I don't feel like the same human that I am when I'm on adrenaline. So therefore, if I'm, I feel stronger, quicker, sharper, um, scared, nervous, you know, you get all these feelings when you've got this roar of adrenaline in these moments. Um, and I was taught from a very young age, from a, from a psychologist that I saw to embrace it, embrace it and ride it. Because if you try and shut it out, it's going to be too strong of a feeling to block out. You've got to let all this adrenaline come in. This is a great moment, right? So you, adrenaline can make you do amazing things, but you've got to learn how to, you have to learn how to play with adrenaline, which is not easy because you have to get to the position of adrenaline before you can learn to play. So I'm finding myself in junior tournaments trying to ride this thing and I'll be, you know, I remember oftentimes that I'd have, I'd be in the middle of a tournament and I'd have 150 yards later into the, into the, the, Right in a tournament, and I, you know that's my eight iron every time. But I'd fly the green by fifteen yards, and I couldn't understand it, and I think it was bad luck. But you know, after all these experience build up, you start to realise and learn how to play in your what you did, what you can do under pressure. And um, yeah, I, I think that's the, the, the absolute biggest, the biggest thing I see with with, with players and um, you know handicapped golfers is is that. You, they always try to block these feelings out where they're actually very benefit. I'm a better golfer. I hit the ball further and quicker with adrenaline pumping through my body. I just need to learn for, or you need to learn how to adapt and control it because this is a good feeling that you don't get adrenaline for something on a golf course. Anyway, it's for something that's uh, uh, not good. You know, you don't get it for playing badly. Well, I think that, well, especially certainly at your level, but, 
even with the single digit handicaps and scratch golfers, when they go to a competition, the competition is fierce. Everybody there is good. And I think what separates the winners from everybody else is their ability to capture the moment and to recognize that this is a moment and to be able to raise their level of play. When those moments come up and they come up every round, what motivates you to raise your level of play? I think it's a good question. Winning effectively, I, I, there's no better feeling than winning, but that's not enough because everybody in the tournament wants to win. It's, it's finding something that, commit, that you can commit to for me personally. And um, I actually did a lot of work with this recently. And, and for me, something that I can really commit to that helps me in those tough situations is, is uh, strategy. I mean, I've been doing a lot of strategy work. Um, and if you know your strategy, for example, in any tournament, and you can commit to the strategy, then it, it takes away lots of rash decisions that can potentially come your way. If you say to yourself at the start of the week, no matter what happens, I'm gonna to stick to my strategy, whether it be correct or wrong, you're feeling in the moment, it takes out a lot of the heart and emotion of golf and you stick to great decisions. So sticking to my strategy throughout the emotional points of golf, there could be a, a drivable green, which I've played, you know, two or three times in the practice round and I know it's not the right thing to do. And then you could get there and you could get the tweak and think, oh, I could, I could make an easy birdie here. But it's sticking to those strategies that help me perform at the higher level rather than making rash decisions and making a rash decision, it makes you do a rash swing, which makes me, you know, ultimately more often than not, um, you know, ruin. And, and that's something I didn't learn until after college because in college I was, I was very aggressive and, and, and played like that throughout, which is why I had lots of wins, but there were more tournaments I could have won if I'd just been able to take a step back and look at the strategy that my coach and me had set up before, you know, um, and I've definitely got a lot better at that, but it took a while. Is there anything that you work on in practice or do you have any drills when you're, when you're talking about being able to harness adrenaline and use it to your advantage? Is there anything that you do in practice to try to mimic those moments? Yes. Yeah, there is. I, I, and this is another recent thing. I've, um, my, my swing coach, uh, Dan Gale, he, he set me up a few drills because we were trying to, trying to work on it and there's nothing really out there that can, you know, really put the same adrenaline in for, for, you're going to get when you're playing a tournament so he came up with an idea of dr a driving and putting um technique uh, drill so some people may be able to do this on their course or some people might not be able to because of the, you know, the logistics of the place but my driving range is right by my putting ring so i would do a driving drill so i would hit five i'm going to hit five balls between a fairway on the, a designated fairway maybe 10 yards maybe 20 yards if I've got to hit five balls in a row with doing my whole routine all my practice through the gates on the, on the driving range. Once I've completed that, I go into the, down to the putting green and have to hold a 10 foot putt left to right slope. If I don't hold a 10 foot putt, I've got to go back and make 10 in a row before I come back and hold the putt to do this. So then I've got to do 10 drives in a row through the gates, which, which can take me 20 or 30 minutes, 10 good drives in a row is, you know, I don't know, I don't care how you are, if you're Bryson DeChambeau or anybody, it's hard to get 10 straight drives in a row. 
So I'd have to go hit 10 in a row, come back, and then the pressure and adrenaline on the putt, because I know I've just taken 20 or 30 minutes to, to hit those drives, and I get to a 10-foot putt, which should be, you know, relatively easy. It's never, it's not massively breaking, but the adrenaline and, you know, nervousness I find on that putt is the closest I've ever been able to recreate in my practice. But it's, 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 it's personal, isn't it? You know, you've got, to, you've got to play for something that you fear, you know, and, and another 30 or 40 minutes on the driving range trying to do that was, was, was enough for me. That's actually really, really cool because uh, that's to be able to find something like that, to be able to build that adrenaline. I mean, that's really, really cool because that's something that, yeah, it, most people, whenever it's practice rounds, I mean, you're not to find to find something that could push you that hard. That's that's a really cool drill. And yes, uh, I, I think for most putting five in between the gates, <laughs> that's a 10 yard gap might 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 scare them enough the first time. <laughs> Well, I think that's such an interesting concept of bringing fear into practice because I know even just as an athlete myself, those moments, sometimes the, the fear of failure is what crushes the performance. But if you practice under fear and that becomes part of your movement pattern, I mean, that's, that's, that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. uh, and what the greatest thing is you get to see what your shots what shots you produce under pressure. So typically I've missed most of my shots right under pressure. Won't miss many left because my body's moving so fast. So if I know when I'm under pressure that typically I'm going to miss this right more than anything, I can adjust and adapt and I can hit bad shots in okay positions because I'm not, I understand what my body does and what I can do under pressure typically. I mean, there are going to be times where I hit left shot under pressure, no doubt, but more often than not, I miss right from looking at this drill off the tee so that helps me it's confidence isn't it it gives you confidence that right I've, I've got a 70 yard gap to hit it into i know i can only miss this straight or right so i've got you know as long as i don't miss it 60 yards right then i'm in play and we can go from there you know so it's it's all about you know creating something that's personal but works now you and i have known each other now for about uh, about two years mm -hmm. And you reached out to me because you're having some low back pain issues. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. That, I mean, in college and, and throughout college, I, I don't think touch wood. I, I never, I don't think I've ever had an injury. I ever had to sit out a day of golf because of something. And, and then it was, it was at a tournament, I think I lifted my bag up in a weird way. And I felt my lower right back just sort of, week um and it never it didn't get better for two or three months and i was scrolling through instagram looking at how to you know if there's anything that i can do for correcting came across your profile and um yeah and had this real sharp lower back pain which was was evident some days not evident others felt slow lethargic because of it like weak was the best way to put it wasn't hitting it very far didn't feel very athletic um and and from that didn't really want to hit golf balls on the range subconsciously because I was in a little bit of pain. Um, so then I spoke to you and then, you know, we, we went through the train fully that corrected program. Um, I think we did that for 12, I think I did 12 weeks in, in, in the end um, of that. Um, and, and completely, completely remapped everything that was working and since then had no issues with low back pain. Since, yeah, that's, 
that I, I talk about it. I'm not sure that you literally did the train fully program. You mm -hmm. put the routines on your computer and you followed along uh, just like everybody else. And um, I mean, obviously uh, at the level that you play at and, and what you put your body through, I mean, this is your livelihood and um, you were able to make a full recovery. But I know Brian had some questions about how, and you talked about this a little bit, how the pain affected your, your swing and how you were able to um, try to work through that. Yeah, because I, I know that, you know, again, it comes to even in the better golfers that are out there, you know, whenever there's an injury, whether they know it or not, um, I, I've, I've recovered from back problems, well, probably severe for some people, not as severe as others. But um, I know for myself as an instructor, I've been very attuned to not creating compensations in a golf swing. And so was that something as you were, you had that pain and you were, were you paying attention to that, like technique wise and everything to make sure you weren't creating chaos in your own golf swing? Actually, do you know what? I, I wasn't, I was not because, you know, it got to me. It, it did get to me. I wasn't practicing anywhere near as much. I was compensating in my swing. I stopped turning. So I became very armsy and very flippy. Um, I was hitting good shots through timing rather than, you know, body movement. But it was almost like this, I'm 24, I don't, I don't know, it's not lower back pain, like, do you know, I was almost like kind of against, fighting against this, this, and don't get me wrong, it wasn't, I'm playing, I could play with it, but I could feel it always, always there, and it always felt like it was sort of slowing me down, it wasn't, I knew it wasn't huge, but it just, something wasn't right, um, and, and I let it get to me, yeah, I, I didn't play good for about four or five months, um, it's obviously hit lots of good shots and things in between, because you know, my, I can time my timing and my hand-eye coordination is pretty good after you know twelve years of playing. So um, that was okay, and I got away with it for a little while. But I, I, I was hitting it, you know, I, I was hitting it short, and that's something that I don't enjoy doing at all. Um, and yeah, I, I, I did stop practicing subconsciously because it hurt. Um, so it, I think it it made a big effect on what I did and how I, you know. It's, it's like trying to build a house on a, on a you know a weak fundamental it, it doesn't doesn't work and um from that point I, I think my house was crumbling because of something that i didn't want to acknowledge um but when i finally did it was it was yeah i felt i think i had a like a springboard effect and for about three months felt phenomenal you know because i'd felt so poorly before uh, i felt great afterwards and um yeah went on to win a win the, the open invitational and, and and kicked on from there it was good so that that season our focus was on uh fixing your imbalances and increasing your capacity so that you could uh first of all play without pain but also play all season without pain and perform at the level that you needed to and that you wanted to this year our focus has has changed we're still focused on your imbalances and still on increasing your capacity but now we've also started to focus on your speed and getting more distance into your game and i'll talk a little bit about what you and i are working on but is there or are there drills or things that you do to increase swing speed 
Uh, not yet. No, no. That'll be something that I, th I believe me and you will probably get into at some point further down. Swing speed's not been something that I've ever really worked on. Um, I have a coach who's very, very um, interested in, in flight man, uh, track man numbers and flight scope. Um, so the biggest, the biggest advice I've ever given, uh, which seems to work often, is that swing speed will not Put it this way: hitting the ball out the middle will be the closest, the quickest way to get swings, to get distance. Uh, increased swing speed by three or four club miles an hour doesn't help as much as hitting the ball centrally out the face. So, if you can build a technique where you constantly hit it out the face, at the, pretty much out the centre, then from there you can build swing speed in the right manner. But building swing speed and hitting the ball out high out the toe or low out the heel, then it kind of it's going to you're going to hit the ball the same distance with less consistency yeah and, and you and i are are actually doing some really cool stuff and i'm not going to talk about it too much here um but i will get into it uh more in, in future podcasts i don't want to give away all your secrets but we're targeting uh specific muscle fiber types within specific muscles in your body and developing specific energy systems all for the purpose of making you faster and doing that in a way that respects the biology of a golfer, because some of these things, I mean, I know that squats and deadlifts obviously are the go-to for lower body power exercises, but we have to respect your spine as a golfer. So we'll talk a little bit about, uh, or I'll talk a little bit more about that stuff in, in an upcoming podcast, but I just want to get your feedback on how that has been going so far. It's been good. It's been very good. Um, I was actually thinking about this yesterday with the work that me and Thomas and I have been doing. Um, it's been pretty, we do sort of two workouts on, you know, Monday or Tuesday, for example, that are quite heavy, heavy weights, heavy lifting, and then more of a hypertrophy session, which would be between six and 12 reps. But um, what, what it's been really key for me is to understand my performance levels during my working out and the week and the, the week following so if i've worked out monday and tuesday lifting you know pretty heavy weights both days training my body to its sort of its limit my performance on wednesday i've noticed is is dreadful <laughs> it's terrible i mean um i'm gonna have to start inserting my day off on the days after my tough workouts because i'm starting to understand and appreciate that that my body's going to dip before it can, it can, um, you know, bounce back to full performance. So being aware and aware of that and being able to insert that into our, uh, my practice routines is, is the biggest key for me. So I can be, you know, not get disheartened if I turn up one day and not know why I'm hitting it terribly or my body doesn't want to move. And I now know that it's because, you know, I've just lifted, you know, 225 pounds, 15 times in the gym over three sets or whatever so it's understanding my my body my body's going to dip in performance before it can it can improve and inserting that and maybe only doing putting and chipping on the day that after my workouts is going to be a benefit for me because my i still go into every practice session with sky high um expectations which need to be adjusted at times especially especially because i can get a bit perfectionist be a bit of a per perfectionist i think that may uh, really benefit me in the future going forward um, to try and sort of narrow in on uh, improving really. 
Yeah. And we've actually scheduled your workouts around your uh, competition, right? And so we have you peaking for each one of your competitions. And, and it's about that rebound for after some of the workouts that we do, um, there is a decrease in your performance just because of the body's recovery. But for that decrease, we then get a rebound two, three days later. And we want to catch your competitions on that rebound. So you actually get a boost in performance on those days. And um, you've actually experienced that firsthand. And, and there's a little bit of, you know, tweaking things here and there to make it specific to you and, and your physiology. But um, we're expecting you to have a, a great season this year with this, uh, with this new plan. Um, another thing I want to talk about here is in 2017 at the Alnard Palmer Cup, this was the first event after his death, and you were asked to speak at the dinner. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, yes. That was a, probably one of my uh, best golfing, mem probably one of my best memories um, that I've ever got, to be honest. Um, you know, it was two teams of 12 players from the US and the Europe. And because Mr. Palmer wasn't obviously there, his family and um, all his close relatives had a table at the front and it was a really big event. And they had his umbrellas up on lining the ceiling. It was, it was awesome. So um, one player from each team had to had to speak um, at, the, at the dinner the day, the night before, like an, sort of like an opening ceremony, I would get, I would say. And we had to speak for three or four minutes um, and address Mr. Palmer as if he was in the room in front of his family, which was, I mean, I don't know. It felt like there was 10,000 people, but there was probably <laughs> three or 400 people in the room and members all, you know, sort of sitting around the sides as well. And uh, yeah, I had, to, had the privilege of getting up and, and chatting to effectively Mr. Palmer um, in front of his family, me and uh, Maverick McNeely from the US side. Um, had to do that and it was one of the best experiences of my life I was nervous to accept it at the, at the start I almost didn't accept it but uh, in hindsight it was the best thing I ever did uh, yesterday um, the McKenzie tour Can Canadian tour announced its um, tour school schedule so what I'll probably do is play these Florida Pro mini tour events to sharpen up and get in some reps um, from about now until March April um, and then also insert, probably do the Canadian tour qualifying in Florida. Um, and this is on the basis that, you know, things improve in the world and the border reopens and stuff. But um, it looks as though they're going to go ahead with that, which is awesome news. So I'll probably look at doing the Can Canadian tour. Um, and then I've also got status on a tour in Europe, uh, which is like the same as a Canadian, but the European version. Um, so I have that as well. So it, it all depends. It's it's um, golf's <laughs> golf's not cheap, and you know the world's not in the most financial um, financially stable place at the minute. So it's it's all about making the good decisions. Um, so the best opportunity just to play as many times as possible and getting getting reps. What I found in in Canada when we worked together when I was up there was you know I was playing a lot, um, and I found that I would fatigue quite quickly over you know a three-week period um so i really want to try and dial in on that this this summer to try and um, understand a bit more how i can stay at my best and you know try and be better at taking a day off rather than 
those games at the golf course. I think it's been a, a wonderful time getting to know you a little bit better and uh, hopefully the audience gets to see the work or, or hear the work that your process that you're putting in um, to, to make it where you're on these tours and everything. And, and I hope that especially as the world hopefully <laughs> starts to uh, get back to whatever normal is after all of this, um, hopefully that means also for you that the, uh, the touring and everything kind of works well as well. Um, I know I'll be paying a lot closer attention. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And everybody out there, man, give Dave a follow on Instagram. What's your Instagram tag? I think it's just at Dave. Yeah. Oh, Dave. That's pretty much it. I'll, I'll, I'll send, I'll put a link on, on my Instagram and, and uh, Brian will do the same. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Dave, thank you so much for uh, coming on. We're going to have you on again. I, I think that especially the insight that you give about practicing and preparing uh, for competition, your ability to rise to the occasion, um, certainly you're a clutch player. And, and I know that the listeners got a lot from listening to you speak. So uh, thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And uh, head over to trainfully.com. You can pick up the Train Fully program. This is the same program that Dave does. Um, if you enter promo code GOLF10, you can get a 10% discount. Again, Dave, thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Bye-bye.